0: Welcome to the Assembly of Yahweh Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're here. For more information, you can visit hallelujah.org or download the AOI app on Apple or Google Play. Good morning. your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I do appreciate... I do appreciate that we've been reading through the book of Deuteronomy. I'll share with you a message this morning. I've entitled "A Diligent Teacher." A Diligent teacher, and I've thought in the years in the years that I've been associated with this with this assembly, which has been quite a few now. Um, I will say that. Um, there's no one that I've met in this place who has been a more diligent teacher than Chuck has been he has shared more uh, he shared more theology and scriptural truth from this very spot than anybody in this place and I appreciate him so much for for that And, and so we certainly pray for Chuck and pray for Melissa today and And I ask you to continue to do that as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 1. And now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which Yahweh your Elohim has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear Yahweh your Elohim to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all of the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh, your, as Yahweh the Elohim of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Heavenly Father Yahweh, today we are so thankful for this time that we have in these brief moments to be able to study your word. I'm thankful, Father, for this week that you've given for us to set aside and to draw together as a family of believers and to draw closer to you, and we thank you so much for that. I thank you, uh, Father, For each one who's here today, and I pray that you'd open our hearts today, that we'd hear the truth of Your Word, and we pray these things in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. Uh, One of the for the visitors who are with us, we welcome you, and I hope that you are having a great week. You might notice, and you can even hear in here this morning, we have a pretty high-class problem in this assembly, and. And you see it on the sidewalks as you try to walk around, and you hear it as we're trying to sing, and as we're trying to, as we're trying to, to study, and um, you have to be careful where you step around here. You might step on a razor scooter or a bike or one of those big wheel things. I'd like to try one of those big wheel things, but I believe I, I believe I'll pass. Um, we're blessed with children. In this place and and if you 're a parent or a grandparent or a caregiver of a child of children then i I want to say to you first of all i want to I, I want to share with you, and I hope you know what a great privilege and honor that is to have children or to have children under under your care and I also want to say this to you this morning I, I want to talk to you about you know not only the privilege, but I want to talk to you about what a great responsibility it is to care for children and to bring children up in the in the right way um, i took a I took a picture um i'm not I'm not answering a phone call although although a spam risk is trying to call me right now but i I took a picture there's Uh, You may have noticed in some of our common areas and in the restrooms, we have a yellow printed piece of paper in many areas that are requests from the AOI staff, and and it talks about adults, things adults should do and shouldn't do, and it talks about children, and it's this great list of all the things that children shouldn't do. I'm going to read some of these to you. In case you haven't seen these, I'll, I'll read some to you. The parking lot is off limits for play at all times. Right? Sounds harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> children are not allowed in the kitchen unsupervised by parents. Children may not ride scooters, rips. I don't even know what is a rip stick. Can somebody tell me? Whatever it is, children can't ride them in the dining hall patio. Uh, Children are not permitted to play in the sanctuary, no running in the halls. Children under 12 are not permitted in the youth room. Children are not permitted to play in any restroom, it says. And this is my favorite one. I'm not reading you these necessarily in order because I wanted to save my favorite one for last. This is what it says. Listen closely to this. Children are not allowed in the freezer. Now, I have to believe there's a story. I don't know what the story is, but I'd sure like to know whose kid got locked up in a freezer in this place that we have to say, your children, parents, are not allowed in our freezers. Isn't that crazy? You know, sometimes we raise our kids, this is what we do, though. We give them all of a list of things that you can't do. You can't play, you can't run, you can't be in the freezer, you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever, whatever it is. And it's important, isn't it? It's important because children need direction. And I dare say that there's some children in this room today that if we didn't say you cannot play in the freezer, where's the very first place they'd be? In the freezer. And if some of your kids end up in the freezer today, do not blame it on me. Okay, children need direction, children need guidance, and we're instructed as as parents or grandparents or caregivers we're 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 given a great obligation to our children, and that's what I want to try to share with you this morning verse seven and and what I just read it it it's Verse 6, these words which I command today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your head, on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We have a great obligation to our children, an obligation is defined as an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound. It's a duty or it's a commitment. And that's what we have as parents and grandparents. And by the way, there are people in here who, who are not parents or grandparents, um, but you may be one day. does it take a parent or a grandparent to teach children Sometimes it takes a brother or a sister, an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor or somebody you work with or somebody in the assembly. Um, we, we all have we all have a duty and an obligation. And the first obligation to our children is that we would be diligent teachers. Does anybody agree with that? You can say amen. It won't offend me. Um, very interesting, if you're a wordsmith, and some people are, uh, this is a very interesting word, by the way. This this that's been translated as diligent teacher here in verse 7 is a Hebrew word, shalnan is the word. Don't you love to hear someone with as deep a southern accent as I have say Hebrew words? Shal non. And I did some research, and I found that the word's used nine times in the Bible, and this is the only place where it's defined as a diligent teacher. It's almost always uh, the the definition that's most common and and is used in every other case where this word is said. It means this. Listen, it means to sharpen. It means to wet. Any old people in here, we know what wet stones are. used to be a time when you sharpened Gary and I. (laughs) This would be a time when you sharpen your knife with a wet rock. And this word that's translated here to be a diligent teacher is a word that means to sharpen or to wet or to be pierced. Very interesting, isn't it? That's a word that's used in relation to teaching our children. What does it tell us today? Well, I'll share a few things with you. I'm a pocket knife kind of guy. Anybody in here pocket knife kind of guys? If I have my pants on, and sometimes when I don't, I have a knife on me. Don't go too far with that. This is a very special knife. I I prefer a case double X. Everybody likes a knife. If you like something other than that, you're entitled to be wrong. This knife, this particular knife that I have, my wife bought for me on my honeymoon, on our honeymoon, um 31 years ago now and I carried this thing almost every day for about 29 years I lost it twice I lost it for a year one time Uh, evidently I dropped it in the yard skinning a deer and I couldn't find it and I found it the next year the first deer that I skinned it was laying in the yard and I cleaned it up and then I lost it last year for about six months and and Rhonda told me where to look and I didn't look and I finally looked in the tackle box and that was where I found it so I cleaned it up and I sharpened it and I put it up in the gun cabinet and I said I'm not going to carry this knife anymore but I'm a pocket knife kind of guy and I use this pocket knife for everything from cutting my fingernails to stripping wire you know it's a very useful thing to have and um I've learned a lot in my life from carrying a knife I've learned that a dull knife is a dangerous knife. You understand what I'm saying? A dull knife is a dangerous knife. It's an ineffective knife. A dull knife is a useless knife. And and I want to be able to count on my knife. You never know when you may need it. I told a story recently this week to someone about an encounter I had with a bear one time back home in the mountains. And and I went out of the yard at night and, and... came face-to-face, face. I mean, literally within 8 or 10 feet of a of a bear. And I didn't have my pocket knife that night. What I did have, though, was a one of those little two-cell mini-mag flashlights. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Which I brandished like a knife at the bear, threw it at him, squealed like a girl, and ran in the house. I say that to say, I wish I'd have had my knife. You never know when you need one, you know. And you never know when a bear's going to be around the corner or who knows what. But um, I want to be able to count on it. And because I need to be able to count on my knife, I need to be willing. And I'm getting around to teaching your kids, trust me. I need to be willing to invest the time and the effort to sharpen my knife, to make sure my knife is useful. To make sure that my knife works the way that it should. I think of my granddaddy and I often do and he, it seemed like one of the, one of his favorite activities was sharpening a knife and he was always sharpening a knife and he had a great big wet rock and if anybody's seen one of those that your daddy or your granddaddy used for years, that thing was just wallered down in the middle where he had rubbed a knife on it for so long and, and that's applicable to us for our children and i hope you see that it is because we need to take the time and the effort to make our children sharp don't we we need to take the time and the effort to make our children sharp the biggest secret to having a sharp knife is this listen this is a good this is good the biggest secret is not to let it get too dull is not to let it get too dull same thing true by the way of our children and sometimes there's a bad spot in your knife, and you really have to kind of work on it, particularly, and I've never done this on purpose, but I have on occasion used a knife as an electrical tester, which which takes a little work to get that out of a blade, you know and 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 so all of and and I again, I'm not trying to give you a lesson on sharpening a knife. I'm I'm trying to give you a lesson on teaching your children because you teach your children the way you sharpen a knife, the way you wet a knife. You have to use just exactly the right amount of pressure, don't you? You have to be consistent. You can't just stroke a knife twice and expect it to be sharp. You have to be consistent with it. You have to work at it a little bit. It takes just exactly the right angle to get the right edge. It takes just exactly the right amount of time to get the right edge. Anybody ever sharpen a knife? And I know some of you guys have done this. You ever sharpen a knife and, boy, it is sharp? And you're like, "About two more strokes and this thing's going to be right. And it's dull as anything. You know, Right? And and so, so you have to use the right, you have to be consistent, you have to use the right pressure, you have to have the right, use the right angle, you have to put just exactly the right amount of time in and all of those things are applicable to us teaching our children the way that we should. We have to do all of those things because some children need more pressure than others. If you have a two year old or a three year old, you know it don't take a whole lot of pressure. But once that child gets about 13, and if you haven't put the right pressure in and the right time, let me tell you what you got then. Then you got a problem on your hands. And it takes, everybody's looking at their 13 year old kids and shaking their head. (laughs) Again, I say to you, the secret to a sharp knife is don't let it get too dull. So before you get to that point with your children, Take the time up front to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Does that make sense to anybody except me? It's true with our children. I believe that the number one obligation that parents, grandparents, caregivers, whatever, of children have is to sharpen our children so that they'd be useful tools and Yahweh's kingdom. That's just what I believe. And you can do everything in the world for your child, and you can give them the best thing, give them the nicest clothes, buy them the nicest cars, send them to the best schools, do all of the things that you want, and you can still fail them if you don't teach them the right things. It is, I think, again, I think it's the number one obligation that we have as parents and as caregivers. Well, how do we do that? Well... I appreciate Brother Reznor reading this morning because it's rehashing almost word for word what's said here in this chapter. Verse 7, here's how you do that. Here's how you sharpen your child. Here's how you wet your child, that they'd be a useful tool. It says, you shall teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And I read those I read those three verses and this is my paraphrase. Never miss an opportunity to teach your children. Never miss an opportunity to teach your children. Life is full of teachable moments. Anybody agree with that? Full of teachable moments. Everything that we do in this life is a teachable moment for your children. You know, we're we're all here at Feast of Tabernacles and enjoying a a good week, and your kids are just excited to be camping for eight days. What are you teaching them about? This is not a camping trip and I pray that you're taking the time to 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 invest into their lives the meaning of what this is all about if if you happen to be fortunate enough to see a sunrise or a sunset with your child I pray that you're teaching them that Yahweh created all of these things that we see that what you see is not by accident if you have a new baby coming in to 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 your family like some of us do, then I pray that you're teaching that child who's waiting on little brother or little sister that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's so many opportunities that we have to teach spiritual lessons to our kids, but sometimes we just fail. I wish, I wish I'd have been a better father. When it really counted. I wish I'd have been a better father. When my son was young, um, I was more concerned about work than anything. You know, I was trying to provide, and there's nothing wrong with work, and you need to provide, you need to do those things. But here's what I know now, looking back 30 years nearly now, looking back at when Josh was born and when he was a child, This is what I know. I know I missed so many opportunities. And and I can't go back and get, I can't get those days back and I can't redo. But check this out. For those of you who don't know me, you wouldn't know this about me, but um, I have a grandbaby now. (laughs) And she's four and a half months old. Fallon Rain is her name. And she's beautiful, and she's perfect. She got that from her granddaddy. <laughs> and here's what I know: I know that I have an opportunity to invest in her life in a way that I should have in my son's life. And it's not that we didn't invest, you know, we did spiritual things with with, with Josh, but I missed so many opportunities, and I want to share with her. All of the wonders of creation. And I want to share with her all of the wonders of Scripture. And I want to share with her my Heavenly Father who knows us and who loves us. And you see, all of those things, I don't want to miss an opportunity with her. And some of you young parents are here with kids today. Young kids. And you think, I've got all the time in the world to get around to that. For right now, I'm just going to be their pal, and I'm going to be their friend. And, and, and i got all the time in the world to get to that teaching part. Listen to me and hear me, because this is what happened to me. Josh was like a three-year-old toddler, and I blinked my eyes, and he was graduating from high school. And I don't know what happened in those years, but I know I missed a lot of opportunities. And so I say that to say this to you if you have kids, particularly young kids. Start now. Start now investing in their lives. Life is full of teachable moments, and you shall teach them diligently. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Never miss an opportunity to teach your children. Did I beat that nail in far enough? Everybody all right with that? Somebody say, move on, preacher. Never stop teaching. Never stop sharpening. That's your duty. But I say this to you. Before you can be a diligent teacher, parents, listen. First, you have to be a diligent learner. You have to be a diligent learner. My friend Michael Newhouse said in here last week, he said you can only do what you know to do, and you can't do what you don't know not to do. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Be a diligent learner. Look there at chapter 6, verse 1. Again, you see, through this book of Deuteronomy, we see it over and over and over, these same things. Boom, boom, boom. Now this is a commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which Yahweh your Elohim has commanded to teach you. Do you get that part? These are the things that He's commanded to teach you. So before we teach our children, we must first be... Learners, Because we can't do what we don't know not to do, right? We have to be diligent learners of the Word. And, and I've studied m- my Bible for the biggest part of my adult life. I've been a student of the Bible. And I know that many of you have. And, and I dare say that I thought I knew the Bible well. And there's many parts of it that I do, but it seems like the last few years for me have been uh, times where, and I'm sure somebody can understand what I'm saying. You, there's sometimes that I read even a very familiar passage of scripture, something that's been familiar to me for years, and it's like, it's like Yahweh takes has taken some blinders off of my eyes and I see things now that I never saw before. I see many things in the Bible that I can't unsee. And and um it's been very inter- interesting this journey uh that 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 Rhonda and I have been on over the last few years. Psalms twenty five, verses four and five, and this is my prayer For me and my prayer for you today that are here listening, it says, Show me your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the Elohim of my salvation and on you I wait all the day. Teach me. Show me. He says, That should be our prayer that we would be learners of Yahweh's word. It's so important. us to do and 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 i i so and i talked about how things just sort of jump off the page of the bible for me and so it seems that that for uh for for me for my part anyway it seems that some of the most important things that i've learned from my study of the bible have been the things that i've learned after i thought i knew it all you you know what you understand because we go into this thinking well you know, I've read that book a thousand times. I've heard that passage. Preacher, come on, I've heard this preached so many times. You know, what in the world are you going to teach me from this Scripture? And yet sometimes if we'd open, if we'd open not our ears, but if we'd open our hearts to the truth of Yahweh's Word, it's amazing what we can learn. And and, and we learn, you're never too old to learn. And 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 so, you know, life is a learning Lesson it all is, and it certainly is where Scripture is concerned. And we need to be students of the Bible to be effective teachers for our children. It's important for us that we learn Yahweh's Word because in learning Yahweh's Word we learn about Him. We 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 study Scripture, and in doing and in studying Scripture, we study. Yahweh. We learn about His thoughts. We learn about His character. We learn about His promises. We learn what He loves and what He hates and what He wants us to do and what He doesn't want us to do. That's how we study His character. It's by His written Word that He's given to us. And if we're to be holy as He is holy and that's what we're commanded to do, then we have to learn His Word and we have to learn Him through his word right am i right we have to learn him through his word and here's the problem particularly for young parents and young couples here's part of the problem the part of the problem in being a a student of the word is that it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and you think you don't really have either one of those things in abundance because you're running and gunning, I know you are, particularly if you have more than one child. You know, you've got ball games and gymnastics and dance class and school events and this and that and taking them to the mall and take them to Dairy Queen and do all, whatever, the million different things that you do for your children. And then at the end of the day, plus you've worked all day, you've cleaned house and you've cooked supper and you've done laundry, and at the end of the day, you come in and you sit on a couch and it's just like, oh, whew, man, I'm glad this day's over. But l- let, me say that, let me say this, that where it comes to the study of Yahweh's Word, the study of Scripture and being a student of Scripture, time is really not the problem because you have the time. We all have the same amount of time. The, the question is how you're using the time. Right? There's 1,440 minutes in every day. 1,440, that sounds like a lot, and it is. There's 10,800 minutes in a week. Sounds like a lot, and it is. And so if you take those two numbers and you tell me I don't have time to study... Then I say to you, with all the love that I muster in my heart, that you need to get your priorities right. What if we took some of the time we wasted on Facebook boy that that cut deep, didn't it? What if we took some of the time we spent watching t v or I tell you what for for some. What if you took just the time that you wasted watching TikTok videos? Just that amount of time and applied that to the study of Scripture. Where would we be? You say, Preacher, were you just being mean and ugly? No, I'm not being mean and ugly. What I'm doing is I'm telling you the truth because I love you. And I don't want to see you fail where I've failed. Does that make sense? Y'all know I love you, right? Three people do. How do you find time? You make time. You get up early. You stay up late. You take something out of the schedule. When you're waiting in line for the kids to, to get in the car after school. By the way, why does everybody pick up their kids from school? Put them young'uns on a bus. Bus them. That will give you two hours a day to study Scripture if you don't haul your kids to school. Never stop learning, okay? We all right? We good? We all all right. Never stop learning. We have to be diligent teachers. We have to be diligent learners. And that's well and good, and I want you to be. But here's where the rubber meets the road, because the truth is it really doesn't matter what we know. Because we need to be diligent learners, yes, but I think more important, we need, listen, we need to be diligent doers of the Word. Anybody shake your head? Y'all with me? Right? We need to be diligent doers of the Word. Back to chapter 6, verse 1. All these things that Yahweh your Elohim has commanded to teach you, and I did like it does end there. It doesn't say just to teach you. This is what it says, and again, this is what's said over and over and over through this whole book, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. Don't miss that part. Don't miss that part. Uh, this is, is is where the rubber meets the road. And by the way, this is the part for me. So before you get all squirmy and feel like, you know, I'm all up in your business, you should know this. This is the part of this message that made me squirm before you're squirming. Because, because I have to examine my life and what I do, and I have to see how my actions line up With the consistency of scripture. And I don't know you. But I know me. And I know how I struggle. And this is what I know. I know that sometimes. Even with the best intentions. Even with the best motives. Sometimes I fail miserably. In the doing of Yahweh's word. Y'all hear me? Sometimes I fail miserably. In this aspect. And. And. Knowing this book is not enough. You can have it memorized from cover to cover, and many of you have a lot of it memorized, I know. Um, There's plenty of scholars and theologians and college professors who know this book intimately. They know what it says. They know all the culture behind it. They know all three languages that it was written in. They know what was going on in the world at the time. They understand all the political stuff. They understand everything that's inside that Bible. But here's what they fail. They understand all of these things as an intellectual pursuit. And they have the facts up here in their brain. But many of those people that know this book so well are atheist or agnostic at best. And knowing, so I, what I'm trying to say is knowing this doesn't help you or doesn't help me if we're not doing this. Am I right? Knowing this doesn't help you because the only part of this book that has any impact on your life whatsoever, is the part that you choose to obey. And obedience is not complicated, is it? It's the part that you choose to obey. But, you know, why why do we meet in this place or in your assembly wherever you're from, why do you meet in your local assembly on Sabbath day when everybody else pretty much in your community, perhaps in your family, the people you work with, almost everybody you know meets on Sunday? Why? Why? Why do we come up here For a week in October, and unplug from the world, and do what we do. Why do we? Why do? Why are we expected to eat clean? Again, Resner read all the stuff today. The things you can eat, and kind of, you know, the things we can eat and the things that we can't. And man, I thought, man, I didn't realize rock badger was in it. I've been had a hankering for some good fried rock badger, (laughs) and now I can't eat it. But I've never been hungry enough to want to eat a buzzard or a hawk or any of that stuff. <laughs> Why do we do that? And 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 I think of those questions and 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 I'm I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Some of you have never heard me speak. You this does not come as a surprise to you, I'm sure. But let me tell you in a nutshell how my simple little brain sort of classifies it. I do all of those things for this reason, because he said to. I do all of those things because he said to. We we, we were back home in South Carolina a couple of years back, and, 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 you know, talk gets around about food and somebody's going to barbecue and somebody's going to do you know, pork ribs and Boston butt and barbecue and all this stuff, and I said, not for me, I don't eat pork. And they said, "Why, well, well, why don't you eat pork? And I could have come out with a long, some long theological answer, I guess, but my answer to them was this, because the Bible says I shouldn't. And I'm just simple enough to believe that what He tells me to do are the things that I'm supposed to do. We are subject to Yahweh's authority in our life, aren't we? Everybody agree? We are subject to Yahweh's authority in our life. Um, And and when it comes to doing His Word, the problem for most of us, the authority is not the problem. The problem for most of us is our old stubborn hearts because we use this goat theology a friend of mine used to ha- used to say goat theology i know what the bible says but i don't want to do it i know what it says but i'm not really willing to go there right and 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 so it's it's our stubborn hearts that are that are that are the problem and and by the way i don't have an issue with with things of like murdering and stealing and lying, you know, I don't have issue with with those things. Those are not the things that give me the most trouble doing. Y'all still with me? But there are some things that give me trouble doing. I struggle sometimes with issues of forgiveness, and I know exactly what the Bible says about it. But I struggle with that. Some. I struggle with the concept of loving our enemies and turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and praying for those who spitefully use me and all of those different things that I know are in the Bible but that I sometimes like to conveniently forget. That I like to conveniently forget. And, and so that is my That is my struggle. Uh, Turn with me. Keep your place in Deuteronomy. Turn with me to James chapter 1. I'll try to be brief. I usually set my stopwatch up here so I'll know how long I've been preaching. I did not do that today. So, James chapter 1. Verse twenty two it says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Isn't that important? You know, you can come in here and hear the word and 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 you can lay it down right in a chair when you get up and pick it up again next week and never do anything with it. But we're to be doers of the word and not hearers. And this is what it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, and then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. We have to examine our lives and our actions and the things that we do based on Yahweh's Word as a mirror almost, it says. It says the man that hears it and doesn't do it, he looks at himself and then he turns away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. He immediately forgets this. He immediately forgets what a mess he is. Funny story true, I was a manager for Home Depot for 12 years, and um, we would occasionally have um, market tours, regional vice presidents and stuff would come in, they'd tour the stores and we'd all be tore up for weeks, you know, making sure everything's dusted, nothing's out of stock and all that. Very first one of those that I ever went through, we had a new regional vice president, Maria Perez was her name. Are you here this morning, Maria? Okay. She's told this story before, so I'm, I'll bet. Because here's what I know. Listen, any of you who have been through this, you know how it is. You're nervous, boy, you're butterflies in your stomach, and, you know, you're waiting to get fired any time. We're walking up and down the aisles, and we get about halfway through the plumbing department, and this is what I realized. I touched my face, and I realized that I'd only shaved one side of my face. <laughs> I wore a mustache then and not a beard. It's true. Rhonda tell you it's true. I'd shaved one side of my face, and so I had a perfectly shaven face on one side and two days' stubble on the other because I'd been there like 48 hours, hadn't even went home. And and you know what would have been nice? What would have been nice that day is when I got ready if I'd have looked in the mirror and I'd have checked myself. I would have realized this. I would have realized I'm not quite up to snuff. She didn't say anything about it, but I bet she thought I was the biggest idiot she'd ever thought. and She wondered how we're going to trust an $80 million a year sales plan to this cat. Doesn't even know how to shave his face. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? But I say that to you to try to impart to you some spiritual truth. The truth of the matter is, sometimes we're very likely to go out half-shaven spiritually in our lives Because we haven't examined ourselves based on the mirror that we should be looking at. Anybody following? I don't mind being the butt of a joke as long as you learn some truth. But that did happen. I shaved off an eyebrow one time too, but quite by accident. So examine our lives based on Yahweh's word. This is the standard. Do we all agree? Hold it up if you got one. This is the standard. okay So every now and again, you need to take whatever it is that you're doing and you need to look in this mirror and you need to make sure that it lines up. Okay. So we'd be diligent teachers, diligent learners, diligent doers. And I'm going to put this back on track because I'm talking to you about teaching your children and listen to me parents and caregivers. If you don't know this, I'm going to give you a secret and I always give you something for free. This is free. Um, You are an example to your children or to your grandchildren or to the children under your care. For members of this assembly, you are an example to the hundred kids that run these halls and hide in our freezers on Sabbath. (laughs) And whether good or bad, you are an example, because they're watching you. And if they're your children, even more importantly, they live with you. And so they know that you can get all spiritual in here on Sabbath, blessing Yahweh. But if that doesn't line up with the actions that they see from you the other six days of the week, then do you see what kind of example you're being? Right? But I know it's hard to hear, and I I can share these things because I've lived these things. So they're watching you. What do they see in you? What do your children see in you? We have a great obligation to our children. We're to be diligent teachers, diligent learners, diligent doers. In doing those things, by the way, we have a great promise for our children. And I don't want you to miss it. A great promise for our children. Deuteronomy 6. and He said, he, he's talked about these judgments which Yahweh's commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess, that you may fear Yahweh, your Elohim, to keep all of his statutes and commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as Yahweh, the El of your fathers, promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. What a great promise. Isn't it? What a great promise. Yahweh didn't give us His, His word to keep us from having fun or to hold us back. Um... As parents, we have a duty and an obligation to our children. We set boundaries for our children, don't we? We say these are the things that you can do and these are the things that you can't. You're not going to act like that in public. You're not going to act like that in private. You're not going to do this, whatever those things is. Don't play in the hall. Don't ride your scooter in the dining hall. Don't play in the freezer. See? We tell them all these things not to be mean to them, not to try to hold them back, not to try to keep them from having fun, even though that's what they think. We, we do these things not because we're angry or because we're controlling. We set standards and expectations for our children for a reason. Because we love them. Right? Because we love them. And we don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see them struggle. We don't want to see them broken hearted. We don't want to see them physically hurt. We don't want to see them frozen like a popsicle in the freezer. See, we tell them these things for a reason. We tell them because what we want for them is to be blessed. Right? What we want for them is to be blessed. And and, and, and Yahweh's word is like that. It's expectations. He set those expectations for a reason. Not to be mean to us. Okay? But, but to make sure that we're safe, to make sure that we're blessed, to make sure that we're happy, to make sure that, that, that we're living up to the potential that He expects from us. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says Yahweh, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Over and over and over you'll find the Bible is full of great promises concerning our children Isaiah 44, 3 and 5, Isaiah 54, 59, Psalms 112, Proverbs 27, over and over and over, Bible is full of promises for your children. Believe always promises. Claim always promises. Pray always promises over your children. Bless your children. Say this, and I'm, and I'm going to finish. I'm sorry I've been so long. Being diligent teachers. We have the most important thing to teach them. Here, verse 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh or Elohim, Yahweh is one, and you shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The most important thing. What is the most important thing or the most essential thing? You know, Yeshua was asked, What's the greatest of the commandments? And He quoted this word for word. This is, the, he said, is the most important thing. So what do you teach them? Just a couple things. Five minutes and I'll be done. Less. First of all, I think it's important. And again, this is one of those things that's, that's, that, that I have been taught over the last few years. If you're going to teach your children, teach your children Yahweh's name. Teach them Yahweh's name. Hero Israel, Yahweh or Elohim, Yahweh is one. Literally means is the only one. Teach him his name. I'm terrible with names, but I've learned this. I've learned that to have a good relationship with somebody, you need to try to use their name. Gary, Norma, Fiona. I try to use names. Um, and, and the same thing is true of our Heavenly Father. He has a name, and not a nickname. And we need to teach our children His name. You know, the Bible says we're to praise His holy name, we're to bless His name. His name endures forever. Everyone who calls in the name of Yahweh will be saved. Our Creator, our Heavenly Father, has a name, not a nickname, and we need to teach it to our children. There's been a resurgence, by the way, recently in Yahweh's name, and I'm glad for that. John MacArthur put out a YouTube video just recently talking about a new Bible version and talking about Yahweh's name. So we need to teach them His name. Secondly, we need to teach them this. We need to teach them that Yahweh, this one whose name we know, desires a relationship with us. You know, He's not some entity far apart, some far apart being that, that just winds us up and turns us loose. Yahweh, our Elohim. You get that? That's a very personal word. Yahweh, our Elohim. Yahweh is one. He des- He desires a A, a relationship with us. And, and then finally I'll say that we need to teach them that He alone deserves our worship and praise. Hear O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim, Yahweh is one. Literally again, uh, Yahweh is our Elohim, Yahweh alone, the only one, literally what that, what that means. The Bible talks about in numerous places that Yahweh is a jealous ale. And he's not jealous of us, but he's jealous for us because he wishes to have that relationship that I talked to you about. Yeshua taught us to worship the Father, didn't he? And, and, and I say that's important because that has been flip-flopped so much in mainstream Christianity, and it's a shame. And it's a shame. So... Teach your children diligently um, and and let them learn by watching you. The Bible says that children are a heritage from Yahweh. That means a valuable possession that he's put into into your hands. And it also says to train up a child in a way that he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. That doesn't mean that they're not going to make mistakes, but it means that the foundation that you plant today will bear fruit in the future. So pray for your children, love your children, teach your children. And may Yahweh bless you richly today. Thank you so much.